following podcast is presented by Wellspring of Life Church, a community of faith, hope, and purpose. If you have your Bibles, let's open them up to James chapter 5. And if you're here visiting, we've been going through the book of James, and uh, so we're We've made our way to, to the fifth chapter. And so after stating in chapter 4, verse 17, these words, he says, you know, James speaking to the folks he was speaking to, if anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. And then again, reminding you that originally there were no chapters and verses. This is a continuous letter. And then he goes right into addressing and talking the rich. They've been hovering all along, however, in this letter, the rich folks. In chapter 1, included the challenge to see that humble circumstances have distinct spiritual benefits as opposed to riches, which, you know, require humility. And then in chapter 2, James warned about the destructiveness of preferential treatment just because of someone being wealthy, them getting special treatment. And then in chapter 4, James warned against being seduced by this world. And now he moves into going to really be, uh, you know, he's, he's just been bringing convicted conviction all along, hasn't he? How many of you, when you've been here throughout these just, haven't left like wow <laughs> yeah well he's gonna do that some more and I want to make this comment before we get into the passage because maybe some of you already just got through saying to yourself well this leaves me off the hook because I'm not rich <laughs> <clears throat> and I'm not wealthy huh don't reach don't raise your hand I know some of you thought that well Many people think the Bible teaches only selfish, greedy people are wealthy. But that's not true because many of the greatest saints in the Bible were wealthy people, right? Yeah. Abraham was a millionaire by today's standards. Job was the wealthiest person in the world. He was kind of like the Bill Gates of his time. Only in terms of money, not any other way, okay? <laughs> David and Solomon, both the wealthiest men of their day as well. Many people think the Bible says money is the root of all evil. However, it doesn't say that, does it? Paul, talking to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, said, no, it was the love of money which is the root of all evil. And so... Let me come back to what I mentioned just a little bit ago. Some of you may have thought Dave's not going to be talking to me tonight or the Holy Spirit won't be convicting me tonight. Well, <laughs> I also want to make clear that no one in this room is off the hook. No one, okay? Because James is talking to the rich, and just because we think he might be talking to the rich, that 
we don't need to be paying attention now you see I've said this before I'm going to say it again in comparison to the rest of the world we here in America are just wealthy downright wealthy in comparison are we agreed we know it's true right and so therefore we can be just as guilty of doing the things that James will be calling out to the rich of his day. Okay? Are you with me? So now you're going to be paying attention, right? Okay. Good. Scripture clearly teaches that it's, it's not a person's financial wealth nor their poverty that matters, right? doesn't make a difference. It doesn't determine one's relationship with God. But the person's spiritual condition is what matters. Rich or poor or somewhere in between, it's the spiritual condition that is important that matters. And so James is going to bring some warnings to the rich. And the first thing he's going to be saying in the first three verses of chapter 5 don't be selfish. Look at these three verses with me. It says, now listen. Now again, coming off of ver what we call verse 17, if anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, to them it is sin. Now listen, you rich <laughs> people. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted, and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Now listen to verse 2 and 3 from the message, okay? Your money is corrupt. And your fine clothes stink. <laughs> your greedy luxuries are a cancer in your gut. Destroying your life from within. You thought you were piling up wealth. What you've piled up is judgment. Okay? Because the language in verse 7, and let me just say, scholars are kind of conflicted with who James is talking to. Are the rich Christian rich or are they unbelievers? And so, the, you know, there's two schools in that, and I'm, I'm kind of thinking, I'm, a, I'm of the opinion that he's probably talking to rich people who were attending church but playing the game of church, okay? I think that's probably talking about. Because of the language in verse 7, it makes it clear that James was addressing the true believer there. James's harsh words found here in verse 3 are not directed to true followers of Christ, but to those who were only, as I just said a moment ago, playing church. They are directed to those who thought they would be saved in the last day because of their wealth. They are directed to those who were all about themselves. And wanting others to think very highly of them. And so you can see these are folks who are still stuck on themselves. It's all about them and not Jesus. 
Now, James in chapter 4, verses 13 through 17, focused on the arrogance and pride involved. If you remember, planning life without the dependence on God. It's doing life without God being involved with it. Okay? Denouncing the worldliness of the self-centered person. James here in chapter 5 charges wealthy landowners for abusing the power of their wealth for oppressing the poor. These wealthy landowners were making life miserable for believers, for Christians who were their victims. The possessions of wealth is not evil. Can we just make sure we understand that? Abusing wealth by selfish living and by harming people dependent on you is. Amen? James warns, he says here, your wealth has rotted. This probably refers to grain as, you know, as a food substance, grain rotting in storage. And these people not even thinking about or being so selfish that they would not share it with the needy, with the poor. And it rotted instead while in storage. Okay, that's the idea that we want to pick up on here. The phrase, and moth have eaten your clothes, probably refers to hoarding even their clothing and letting it become moth-eaten rather than giving their excess clothes hanging out in their closets that they haven't worn in a long time instead of giving that off to the poor. We too can be guilty of the very same thing. That stuff rather than giving it to a charitable organization, right? We can do that. James continues his warning. He says, your gold and silver are corroded. This suggests vast amounts of money going untouched for long periods of time because it is not needed by the owner, let's say. I can remember years ago listening to a uh, testimony by a, by a young man. He was the son of the founder and owner of Waste Management. And they're, they're international, if you didn't know that. And he was talking, giving his testimony. He used this phrase I'd never heard before. Uh, now, now I can't think what it was. I just lost it. <laughs> but it was kind of like trash money. In other words, it was just money that you could burn. He had a term for it. And I can't remember what it was now. But I thought to myself when I first heard that, I wonder what that's like. <laughs> to have money that's just burnable. You know, just... So it's kind of like I thought of that when these folks here, they've got all this money, more than what they need, and it's just been stored away, put in the bank, so to speak, or in their, in their safe, whatever, and not getting used when need is all around them. Okay? Are you getting the picture? James continues, their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. He says you have hoarded wealth in the last days. This word hoarded means to stockpile money out of pure selfishness, once again, in the face of need. You're confronted with it. You can't go out your front door, so to speak, without seeing and recognizing the need and doing absolutely nothing about it when you can, is what James is getting down on them about. Now, once again, James doesn't mean we shouldn't save or invest. He's not saying that. We should save for the future. 
but we should not hoard all of what we have, all of our money, all of our finances, whatever, in the face of need. Are you with me? And that's his point here. The words, their corrosion will testify against you, means God's judgment will be based on our checkbooks and purchasing habits, which will reveal our real priorities. Jesus warned us about storing up earthly treasures and possessions by spending all that we make on ourselves. When James says it will consume their flesh as fire, he is giving them a rather horrific image of divine judgment on those who had made money their chief aim in life, their number one priority. The Bible teaches that we can't take our treasures with us, right? But we can, and you've heard this as well, send them ahead. <laughs> By using our resources as the Bible has laid out for us to do. The first step in not hoarding our money or spending it all on ourselves is to obey God's word by giving our tithe back to God. Number one. It's always been said, and I, I like the idea that when a person gets saved, you know that they are saved because God now has control of their wallets. <laughs> or purse, whatever, whatever the case might be. Giving back to the, our tithe, back to, the, to God through, our, through the local church and then making sure that we are being <laughs> responsible and accountable to God as he would lead us in sharing and giving to the poor and to the needy. And then as he continues on here, James continues to bring some charges against the rich. First it was don't be selfish and now is stop being dishonest. Look at verse 4 with me. He says, look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord. Almighty. Now listen once again to verse 4 from the message. All the workers you've exploited and cheated cry out for judgment. The groans of the workers you used and abused are a roar in the ears of the master avenger. Yeah, I know. Like, that doesn't sound good. <laughs> to be on the end of that. So what's James saying? You've made your money because you paid poor wages. You've made your fortunes at the expense of others. But know this, James says, the Lord is hearing the cries of those that you have ripped off. These are not freeloaders that James is referring to. These aren't people who are working the system. 
These are people who have given their time, their energy, their blood, sweat, and tears, if you will, to serve and work in an honest kind of way for some landowner who turns around and cheats them and rips them off. That's who James is referring to. This sin of injustice is taking center stage here. There are many ways to be dishonest. We all know that in the New Testament time, people would work for the rich during the day and then would be paid at the end of every day. Deuteronomy chapter 24, verses 14 and 50, God commanded that an employer pay his employee his wages on a daily basis. You see, the poor often live from day to day. On the verge of starvation, we use the term in our time, you know, living from month to month, resuscitation, <laughs> that kind of thing. They were on a day-by-day -day situation. If they did not receive each day's wages, the whole family would go hungry. There were no contracts. There was no minimum wage kind of situation. There were no labor laws to protect the poor workers. A wealthy employer might retain wages until the end of harvest. Why? Just so that his workers wouldn't leave the job. So he would cheat them in that way. If the worker protested, the rich man would blacklist him or her. If the poor went before judges, well, the rich had better legal representation because they could afford it. But the wealthy landowners withheld the pay. This injustice displeased God. Don't let that go right on over your head, okay? The injustice very much displeased God. The poor and needy were most likely those who had been forced off their own land by foreclosures. We've talked about that. That's generally speaking, who James has directed this letter to, Jewish believers who have been misplaced, homes taken away, businesses taken away, sent off in other places. That's who he's talking to. And then, and then they would turn around and hire themselves out just for the sake of being able to exist and take care of their families, hire themselves out to the wealthy holder of some huge estate probably who was involved in the first place in doing the foreclosure, stealing property, if you will. The only option of the poor was to cry out and check out the phrase here. And if you know your Old Testament, you'll catch the weight of what James is saying. Cry out to the Lord Almighty. In the Old Testament, that was a term used to describe the God of angel armies. Woo! <laughs> angel armies. Not good. <laughs> Don't recommend it. What are the implications of God being almighty or all-powerful? Should we at some time, and we have this going on in our society, in our country today, find ourselves on the short end of a stick. 
someone gets fired just as they're at the verge of retirement. We know that a lot of folks have lost jobs because of this whole pandemic thing. There has been off the charts, I would say, injustice taking place all around this. But here's my point in saying all that. If we find ourselves at the short end of a stick facing oppression of some type or sort, faith requires, church, faith requires that we remember God is our strength. Amen? And that he is our defender. Hallelujah. He will ensure that justice will be done. It may not happen as fast as we want to see it happen, but he will ensure that justice will be done and that he will judge the oppressors. They may think they're getting away with it. It may appear to us that they're getting richer and richer. Their day will come as they encounter the Lord Almighty, the God of angel armies in judgment. Continued warnings. Don't be selfish. Don't be dishonest. Now, James says, don't be self-indulgent. Again, I think as Americans, big time struggle we have with this. Look at verse 5. You have lived on the earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. Oh, my goodness. The wealthy landowners were living in selfish luxury and waste. One of the greatest temptations of living in America. Where in relationship, as we said when we started this this morning... Most of the relationship to most of the most of the world, the average American enjoys enormous wealth. Our problem is to spend all we make on ourselves. In America, I think the problem is twofold. We've already talked about hoarding, and Jane speaks and calls that out, and we can be guilty of that, hoarding our money, but it also would be blowing it all on ourselves. This was originally written to rich landowners who were exploiting the poor, but it certainly applies to us today. This doesn't mean we shouldn't live, you know, uncomfortably or enjoy our earnings. But being self-indulgent and wasteful suggests not being good stewards of what God has given to us. It's poor stewardship. And that displeases God as well. Now, this term here, fattening themselves in the day of slaughter, is like, oh my goodness, described animals being fed plenty of food in preparation for what? <laughs> it's like they're getting fattened up for sale day, <laughs> which means... Kill day, slaughter day. The animals ate greedily, unaware of what awaited them. And these wealthy 
Landowners should have known better. But they acted like senseless animals, unaware of what stood just around the corner for them with regards to judgment. The wealthy wicked lived in the lap of luxury, indulging in pleasures and fattening not only their bellies, but also their hearts. Not leaving very much room at all for God and his ways. Today, for some, terms such as luxury and self-indulgence tempt them towards all of a sudden becoming defensive. The availability of resources along with credit quickly have some of these redefining luxuries as necessities. God help us in this country. And self-indulgences, and we have now called them perks or rewards. But following Christ means that our tendencies toward self-indulgence must always, always 24-7 be on guard. We don't fall into that kind of temptation. In the bigger picture, a life of luxury and self-indulgence is essentially worthless. When Christ returns, church, what good will any of the wealth be? Money will mean nothing at his return. So we should spend our time, makes sense to me, accumulating treasures that will be worthwhile in eternity in the kingdom of God. Final charge that James brings. Now he says, don't be manipulative. Verse 6. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not even opposing you. In their selfishness and in their greed, the wealthy used their money to influence the courts to punish just people, innocent people, who did not have the money or power to defend themselves. We can fall into similar practices today. We tolerate unfair business dealings that take advantage of people who have no means of recourse. Like I said a little bit ago, folks being fired just prior to their time of retirement, the poor, the elderly, the uneducated are taken advantage of in our money-mad world. I think one of the saddest things in my opinion, in my thinking, is, is the, how I see that people are exploited today with the whole gambling industry. Gambling exploits human weakness. No amens. Are you all gamblers? Someone has said, about a state-run lottery. It is the government taking advantage of people 
who are not very good at math. Yeah. As Christians, we must not exploit the less fortunate, and we must also do all we can to prevent others from doing it as well. The use of the term murder here is interesting. It's probably like we saw back in chapter 4, verse 2, intended to put a lot of emphasis on how the rich were being mistreated, how the rich were mistreating the poor. And so then, more likely, the poor people who could not pay their debts would find themselves being thrown into prison, unable to pay their debt because they were in prison, unable to work. With no means of support and no opportunity even to work off the debts, these poor people and their families, this is true in history, this happens, happened and continues to happen, would often die of starvation. As the rich and wealthy stood by and watched it happen. Not a pretty picture. But here's what James is saying. As far as God was concerned, just as bad as murder. James is confronting a mindset that treats others without regard for their dignity, conspires to cheat them out of everything, defrauds them of possessions and wages, and disregards the very lives of those who have been mistreated. Now, if James illustrates the extreme examples that we are to avoid, Paul's first letter to Timothy gives us at least two principles to follow. First, God's concern is not with actual wealth. Wealth is neutral. But with our attitudes toward wealth. He tells young Timothy that in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 8 through 10. God urges his people, you and I, to be content with what we have rather than longing to be rich. Secondly, God is not against people who are wealthy, but against their misguided priorities. Again, Paul speaking to Timothy in chapter 6 of 1 Timothy, verses 17 through 19, the wealthy have a special obligation the wealthy have a responsibility. Are you listening? We Americans who are, in comparison, wealthy, to be rich in good works. Did you hear that? Yes. To be rich in good works. To be generous and to be ready to share. God blesses us for the purpose of blessing others. I have always said, still believe, that when God chooses to bless someone with vast amounts, it is for one reason and one reason only, 
so that he can turn around, that she can turn around and bless others. Not to hoard, not to, not to blow it on ourselves. Beneath the warnings that James has given, I believe flows an undercurrent of not only deeper warning, but also of amazing promise. James is letting the rich know that heaven's perspective of them is similar to the perspective that they have had themselves and the disdain on the poor and needy. In other words, James is letting these wealthy folks know as far as heaven was concerned, they are the poor and needy because without Jesus, they are lost and without hope and their money will do absolutely nothing for them. But also, and, I, and this is where the promise comes in, if they would repent and turn to God, stop exploiting others, stop using their riches for themselves and start blessing others, then they would experience grace and joy and fulfillment both here and later in eternity. So what's your attitude been like lately? When you see the homeless, the down and out, someone maybe with a different ethnicity than you. And just remember this, with whatever your attitude has been, whatever your thoughts have been or are, you reveal your heart in that attitude and in those thoughts. Your heart is being revealed. And we've just learned what God thinks about that. <laughs> One day we will all be called to give an account to God. Right? Every single one of us. He is, after all, the owner of our souls. Amen? Live your life, church, in such a way that when that day comes, you will not be ashamed of what you did with the resources that were entrusted to you. Will it be all about money? Or will you choose mercy? The choice is ours. Father, we come before you this morning. And perhaps once again, this letter written by James, your half-brother, Lord, perhaps has brought conviction to our hearts. And we have learned that we are, after all, as it turns out, not off the hook. That we can be, perhaps have been, maybe even are currently guilty of what James has called out. And so, God, I pray that we would, as was prayed earlier, do business with you, God. We would take this to heart, 
that we would realize that when we have those kind of wrong attitudes and when we take these resources that you have blessed us with and use them for ourselves or hoard in the face of need, it displeases you. And I don't want to be involved with displeasing you. And I'm trusting God no one in this room does either. Help us to make things right. Help us, God, to get our priorities straight. Help us, God, to make it all about you and not ourselves. Hopefully for us, from this moment on, we won't make money the priority, but your mercy instead. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Wellspring of Life Church in Western Colorado. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please visit wellspringoflifechurch.com. So I will lift up my heart.